and welcome to the Story So Far podcast. I'm Kerr Matheson, and on this podcast, I talk to businesses and individuals about their journeys, challenges, solutions, and the future. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Story So Far. With me today is John Gill of Playful Communications. You might recognise the other brand that John operates under, Made on a Mobile. Welcome, John. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. No, you're very welcome. Um, it's good to see you. Uh, right, so I think John's um, going to have some fairly fascinating stories for us about his journey to where he is today. Um, so let's get started. So, John, tell us a little bit about Made on a Mobile and how you got to where you are at the moment. Um, made on a mobile is basically me as a filmmaker using mobile devices, uh, phones and tablets to capture, edit and share stories. I suppose 10 years ago, the, the, the turning point for me was um, a few things sort of coincided together. I was doing a master's at Duncan and Johnston. I'd never been to university. I used to say to people, I, I went back to university, but I, I never went. <laughs> so that was me actually going to university age 39 uh, to do a master's. And um, during that, for my 40th, which I, I right in the middle of my master's, I was 40. And for my 40th, I got an iPad 2, which was the first iPad with a camera. And... I, 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 to be honest, I can't really remember what I thought I was going to do with it. Um, I hadn't yet, the, the iPhone had been out for a while. I hadn't yet sort of felt I could justify spending the money on an iPhone. Because if you remember back then, I think we'd all got used to spending about, you know, seven or eight pounds a month yeah. on our phones. And at the end of every year, you pretty much get a free update. And, and then along came this thing, that which was the price of a computer. But the iPad came along and I thought, well, maybe that's the the way into this kind of stuff. So I got one and the I used it for lots of things and it was really useful. But the main thing was documenting my project. And I've always been a filmmaker as a, you know, a hobbyist. And um, so I'd got 20 years of experience already of, of making videos of one sort or another. And for the first time I could film and edit on the same device and that was just really powerful and and as soon as i could once i came out of my finished my masters i started running workshops predominantly for for kids um through local authorities and schools and and uh, youth groups and whatnot and i suppose my my goal at the time was for this device and and devices like it not to become a replacement for other devices so right. what i noticed immediately like literally that we were on, we were on when we bought the ipad we were on holiday down in um sort of near windsor mm. and we'd taken the kids down to uh, uh legoland and so I had the opportunity to sort of start filming little bits. We bought the iPad on a day trip to London. And so we were in the, in the London eye <laughs> uh, and I was literally unboxing it in the London eye and taking pictures and video and instantly for the kids who were about 
five, four and six, yeah. maybe five and seven, something like that. And it was instantly more interesting than anything else they'd seen. Yeah. You know, they'd, they'd got a Nintendo DS, uh, we got the Wii at home, and even the telly. You know, this thing replaced those things almost overnight because it was instantly more interesting and compelling than anything yeah. else. Because apart from anything else, you could touch the screen. And up to that point, you know, you're telling the kids not to touch the screen. You know, you <laughs> don't touch the TV. You don't touch yeah. the, the the laptop screen. And then here was a thing that was designed for you to interact with it. And I was aware that there was already this two-screen phenomenon where people had bought iPhones and... Maybe I, I, I suppose they just, it was a new technology and we hadn't worked out what to do with it, you know, what its limitations were, what it, what its capabilities were. And so kids were learning to use these devices from adults. And what adults were doing was sat on the sofa watching telly and scrolling through their mobile phones. And, and I felt like, you know, when I was 9, 10 11 years of age all i wanted was you know a movie camera mm. and the ability to sort of make my own films and i used to storyboard sort of films and uh, sort of ideas that i had and and here was this thing and it was not only a camera but it was your editing suite you could make music on it you could draw on it you could sort of uh, you could take photographs and and manipulate them mm. It was everything. And I thought the worst thing that could happen is that it turns into something, you know, just a replacement for a console or for a TV. Yeah. Um, or, or just another means of, of another way to do your, your shopping online. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I basically created a series of workshops that taught you how to be creative with this thing and it, and it and it included all of those things plus animation wow. and um sort of bits of social media uh and i suppose the 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 foundation to it all was was stories which i was interested in storytelling right and i'm always resistant to sort of call myself a storyteller but the foundation of of everything that i do i think is is storytelling yeah so it, it, and and is that what has become um you know you you're made on a mobile brand and things like that is is this ability to use one product essentially one one tool that will allow you to be as creative as you possibly can without having a whole suite of banks of computers and so on i i suppose yeah it's i i suppose the initial driver was i'd been a part of projects as a, as a sort of bef before I did the masters, I was a graphic designer and illustrator, mm -hmm. and and I'd been part of projects where, um, you know, we might introduce young people to uh, a, a high end editing software and and cameras and uh, Photoshop and and things like this. But there was, but once they, you know, they might come to a space, a creative space somewhere and learn to use this stuff and then go away. And for the first time, I was able to teach creative 
sort of techniques and um, software and 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 the, for those skills to be transferable, that they could go home and potentially now it was a it was there weren't many people that had. I mean, it's not like now where pretty much everybody has um, a mobile, yeah. a, a smartphone, yeah. or the, you know, equivalent or a tablet. Um, but even so, in sort of 2011, there were, you know, families, there was maybe a family mm, iPad yeah. or maybe mom or dad had a work iPhone. And so at the very least, they could they could learn something, these kids could learn something and go home and then, come, you know, I was using predominantly free apps so they could ask mom and dad to download this thing onto the phone and then make something at home. And I was, and that's another sort of passion of mine really is is making things. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy making things and I like to sort of advocate that, yeah, just make, it doesn't matter what it is, yeah. just make something. Um, and this was for the first time you could digitally, you could make stuff. Um, and it wasn't just kids, but kids was definitely the the way into it because even then, 2011, video wasn't even a thing on uh, social media and and that i suppose that was the a big sort of catalyst for me starting a business right. um sort of i suppose in the last three four maybe five years video has become more and more important and um i i've i've been doing mm. workshops for like best part of 10 years but certainly Four, four or five years ago, it started to escalate in terms of the number of inquiries I was getting and and the kind of content that people were wanting to create, which was predominantly for social media, for their websites, and, and maybe a little bit for, for presentations. Yeah, yeah. And and the ability to, to do that themselves becomes more and more important, doesn't it? Um, and the fact that, that we've got that uh, facility now, um, you know, uh, please, please quite well into the workshops that you were doing even before this became a thing. Um, I suppose, but there must have been must be a fair amount of of challenges in in getting people to start to accept that they could maybe do this sort of thing themselves, and and you know that that you could be teaching them how to do it and things. Was there any particular difficulties you had? Yeah, I suppose it's, it still is to a degree. I mean, I suppose most of my work comes through people who are, who are already convinced that that's what they want to do. Um, I suppose one of, one of my, uh, I've been doing this full time now since January, 2019. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that's really helped was somewhere in the middle of 2019, I was offered by a client who I do a lot of work for, uh, to do a free event and I hadn't done any free events and I'd resisted doing free events because I just thought, right, I'm now that I'm doing this full time, I've got to sort of demonstrate that there's value in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was offered an hour slot at a conference to talk about the kind of stuff that I did. And I thought, well, um, I, I'm not interested in talking about myself <laughs> for an hour. What I'll do is I'll do like a taster session yeah where it can be a bit practical and because, because I, I suppose the driver as well as for, for the kids, as, as time went on, um, 
I was basically offering people the opportunity to be able to do something with a tool that they already had. So they'd already got a, yeah. a, a smartphone in their purse or their pocket. So I'm not saying you need to go out and buy an expensive DSLR. You've already got an expensive bit of kit and, and it's capable of doing a lot of things. Um, so the, ta- the taste sessions um, that I, I started running sort of from middle of last year were a huge boost in getting people over the threshold of, is this for me or, mm. or not? And um, so I tend to do them sort of quite regularly now and sort of hope to start running some digital versions of that as well, sort of Zoom versions, because if you're asking people to invest not only, you know, a hundred quid or so to, to join a workshop, it's also the day out at their work. Yeah. Um, it's usually people who this isn't the only thing that they do. I mean, I do do a lot of work with communications teams, but even then, yeah. you know, there very rarely is there a dedicated film person in the team. It'll be something they'll be writing blog posts. They'll be doing social media. Um, they'll also be needing to do some filmmaking at some point. So, I very rare, very rarely am I teaching people who filmmaking is their mm-hmm. thing. Um, is a way into filmmaking for people who, right? So they've got they've got the kit. You might want to buy some extra bits and pieces, lenses, external microphones, a, a tripod, but essentially you've got the most expensive part of it. And the taster sessions were a great way of encouraging people to sort of give it a go for free for an hour at an event that they were already at. And um, I, I've got loads of bookings off the back of that. So I suppose one of the lessons was it doesn't hurt to, if, if, you, if you're being strategic about it, it doesn't hurt to, to give some time and um, – which I'm, I'm always happy to answer questions and stuff yeah. like that. But I was, I was kind of, re- I mean, I was resistant, I suppose, to driving through, to, you know, t- driving through to Edinburgh or something for an hour to do an hour taster session and then come home and doing it yeah. for free. But actually the benefits of, of doing events like that, that probably mostly don't run on a budget and are encouraging people to, you know, are a, are a free event as well then um, it's been really, really yeah. helpful and uh, and has driven a lot no, of business. That, that's great to hear because it, it's a it's a constant difficulty really for, for creatives of all types, isn't it? That um, either you have, uh, you know, the, the musician who is asked to go and play for something, um, you know, and, and the, there's no payment involved, but hey, you could do it for some exposure, you know. <laughs> great, I'll, I'll just pay the yeah. rent this month with exposure then, will I? Um, you know, but but there's a there's there is a constant battle between people valuing what it is you do and and the skills that you have to be able to pass that on, um, for them to be able to yeah. see value in it and and see that it's worth paying for that for you to pass that knowledge on. It's not just about you know if you you if you're paying for a, a film editor or a filmmaker or a musician or anything, you're not just paying for what they do for you there and then. Um, you know, you're you're paying for the years that they've put in, um, you know, building up their expertise and and their knowledge on how to do it. Um, so it's great to hear that that you know things like that can work out, 
and can bring you business on the back of it, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd, I'd spent a few, I'd spent sort of five or six years as a part-time freelancer, one or two days a week. And I managed to survive and it was extra. It was, it was a nice to have. And I could survive on word of mouth. But once I went full time, yeah. you know, that's a big gap to to fill. And and you know, after a year, Scotland started to feel very small and you start to feel like you're exhausting, you know the opportunities for people wanting to learn what you're offering. So you have to diversify, you have to be a bit creative. And, and I suppose, um, in fact, I think it was a good lesson picked up from, uh, or, or was repeated in your, your first episode. Yeah. Kevin Anderson. Yeah. So Kevin mentioned in your last episode about putting aside time in your week to, um, to build your business, to make connections. And I got to the end of my first year. I'd been so busy. I hadn't put aside any of that time. And then I got to the beginning of my second year and it was a lot quieter. There'd been a pattern. I thought I'd seen a pattern and, and it was a pattern that had repeated over a number of years. But of course, some of those years, a lot majority of those years had been part time. So you can't really compare the two exactly. And and I realized that I'd all of the work from the first year was was built on all those connections I'd made previous years. And a lot of it was repeat, but some of it wasn't coming back. Um for for, for all sorts of reasons, yeah. mainly sort of cost cutting and whatnot in the public sector. A lot of my clients are public sector. And I hadn't done anything to pro- to protect myself against that in the second year. I, if I'd sort of taken even half a day a week yeah, or a couple of hours a week even just to sort of make some connections, whether it was on LinkedIn or to do some emails. And and it really does, really does work. I mean, I, I made a concerted effort. Um, just I had a quiet week just before all of this kicked off, probably early February, something like that. And I made a concerted effort going through LinkedIn, looking up people who I didn't know using keywords and whatnot and did a a big sort of one to not a, not a spam type mail, but emailing people individually um, making calls where I could sort of, I knew that I was doing some work in the Midlands, so and I knew the kind of sectors that have benefited from my work up here. So I, I sort of tapped into some of those networks um, in the Midlands and, and made phone calls and had conversations with people. And and even doing that over a, a concert, making a concerted effort over a few days got me enough that I'd got a couple of days in the Midlands and I was able to extend it to sort of fill a week. Yeah. So it was it was worth the travel and so on. Um so if I'd have done that for a couple of hours mm. each week, you know, throughout last year, then because some of those conversations bore fruit immediately, if you yeah. like, they, I, I said, I'm, I'm coming down to the Midlands in a couple of weeks. This is the kind of thing I do. Is this of interest to you? And and I was fortunate. There were a couple of people who were ready for it and were like, yeah, that actually, we, we do need something like that. There'll be others in that list of people 
who I had really good conversations with who it might be another year from now. Yes. And they'll they'll see a steady stream of stuff through LinkedIn or, you know, if they're following my website. And uh, But it might be a year, 18 months before they yeah, come back. Yeah. But you have to do it. You have to protect yourself against those lulls by doing that prep, you know, in advance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned there about, you know, they, they might see a steady stream of stuff and check your website and things. How how um, how important is is producing content and putting it out there to to you building your business, do you think? A, a lot of people looking for examples of what you do. Is that how you get more business? I think it's a tough one because I'm I'm aware that I can I that's the I you know, basically my my hobby became my job. Yeah. So I really love doing what I do. Um, so it's easy for me to go out and film something yeah. that I'm not getting paid for, just for my own enjoyment. So I did a couple recently. Um, I've been sort of doing key work, if you like, for NHS in Dundee, So, which has meant I've had to yeah. travel. And so um, a couple of evenings I've been on my way home and I've stopped off to take my hours exercise in, in the city centre and capture the city under these lockdown conditions yeah. just to document it. It's, oh, it's, yeah. I suppose that's my instinct and it always has been in terms whether it was photography or drawing um, and now it's mm. video. And, um, you know, I think it... it, it a month ago, we couldn't have imagined what we've no, done now, no, you're right. and and I and I think this time next year, if if everything has returned to normal, it'll be really hard to imagine what it was like to remember what it was like, and and so I think it is important. And there's a few, quite a number of people in the community, you know, the the, the filmmaking community that I'm connected with who are doing the same in their yeah. cities. Um. So, so it's it's dead easy for me. I enjoy that. I'm not getting paid for it, but I'm quite happy to spend an hour and you know filming stuff, and then probably spending the best part of a of a day editing it together. And so, one of my things during the lockdown is been uh, learning Garage Band. I've always sort of dabbled yeah. a bit with Garage Band. I'm a little bit musical, but I'm I couldn't sit down with an instrument and. Uh, make music whereas i've got enough knowledge that i can take digital instruments and, and make something half decent mm. so i've been creating music for for my own videos as well okay. and that's i suppose as much as anything it's awareness yeah. so i put these video out videos out and it reminds people one of what i do that i'm still around doing it yeah but also i suppose yeah. the stuff that i will do for for fun for my own enjoyment isn't typically the stuff that I will get commissioned to do mm. because it's it, it's a I suppose it's a little bit more artistic in um approach yeah. um the kind of things I'm commissioned to do are, are probably going to be more practical yeah. and that's not they're not any the the less enjoyable it's just different so I suppose one of the benefits of being freelance now is that I do have a bit of time that I can sort of instead of paying for advertising i will make some mm. content and make sure that i get it out in every possible channel just to remind people that i'm out there yeah. 
So it's it's good for me because it keeps me fresh. It keeps me learning new stuff um, in the, in the apps that I'm using or looking for new apps. Um, you know things like the music. Yeah. Um, and it, so it keeps me fresh, but also it reminds people actually, you know, if you've if you're prepared to put a bit more time into the budget, then actually this is the kind of stuff that you you could be commissioning me for yeah, as well. No, that's great, and and a lot of that resonates with me as well. Being a a creative and a music maker and and all the rest of it, I think you're absolutely right that um, keeping on reminding people that you're there and that you're doing things, um, even if it's not a, a direct advertisement or, or pitch. And it rings true for so many other you know types of business as well. Um, a lot of the marketers are out there telling us that content is is king. And right now, when people are, yeah. are sat scrolling through their, their LinkedIn, um, attractive content is is one of the, the, the biggest eye-catchers, really, isn't it? You know? I suppose that, I, that is definitely the other thing for me is that I am less comfortable in a networking situation to talk about, I would much rather show people what I do than talk yeah. about it. So actually, another thing that might be for, for, for creative types, I don't know if there's, I can't even think what the direct sort of, what a comparison would be, but <laughs> um, I, th- there was a, there was a networking event in Perth. Yeah. Um, I, toward the end of the, summer last year and and again it was the sort of thing that typically i would avoid but i was free on that day and i'd got a few free days that week so it just made me think oh you know maybe maybe i I just need to sort of get out and do it and it's one of these events where there were stalls of people that you could go and see what they were selling yeah but you know if you didn't want to buy a store you could just turn up and and network with them Mm. I think I remember seeing you there, yeah. Because was that the Perth Expo at the race course? Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And and it was good. It was surprising. You know, it surprised me because that's not it's not my cup of tea. And But I thought, well, you know, you're your own business now. So when, when, it's, when it's an extra, that's fine. Oh. But now that it's your income, you're just going to have to put yourself out there and – I'd done some of the work in Perth for the council and and at the library, so I thought, right, there's a good pool of people there, um, and it's relatively local compared to Edinburgh or Glasgow. So, so let's sort of give it a go. So, fortunately, I think the day before, it might even been the night before, I hit on a, an idea that because I knew deep down I was likely to sort of turn up and just stand up the corner and not speak to anybody. <laughs> so, and, and hope that I, there was somebody there I knew and then probably waste, not waste my time speaking to somebody already. But, you know, the point was to go and, and meet new people. And what I usually do is find people I already know and stand and talk to them. Mm-hmm. So um, I, took, I took my camera and my, I took my setup with me mm-hmm. and basically off for the people who had stalls, offered to do a little video for them, a little promo about why they were at the expo and what it was they were um, sort of selling to people, Mm. what was their story. And I would sort of turn it into a little video and post it on LinkedIn that day. And I suppose with mobile filmmaking, one of the 
benefits is that you can move that quickly. And and if you've got a sort of a little, I've got a kind of a little template in my head. I know I'm going to need some some B-roll footage, some some cutaways to whatever their stand was, what they had out, and some of the information that was out there. Um, a quick little conversation with them for a minute or so, and then I would quickly chop that down and post it out on on LinkedIn and get attention. Yeah. And not only put out an advert for them that they would then share, but also letting people know that that's even possible. That yeah this event is today and I'm capturing their story and I'm sharing it today. And for a lot of the events that I, I document, that is the, the most important thing. You could have anybody come along and document your event, mm-hmm. but typically it might be a week, two weeks, yeah. maybe even a month or so before you see any of that content. And usually it's to advertise the following year. So you may not even use it for, yeah. for another nine, 10 months. Whereas what I tend to do is go in and I'm sharing stuff throughout the day on on mm-hmm. social media, yeah. on LinkedIn, doing little interviews, maybe even doing live broadcasts. But then I'll also produce a video that you can pop on your website maybe a, a few days later yeah. and and use as a, an advertising tool for future events, maybe even the same event the, the following year. Um. And that, for the first time, I went to a networking event and I spoke to, you know, maybe half a dozen um, different companies. Um, and then off the back of that, I think the, the Granite Expo in Aberdeen was the following week, which was much bigger, much more established. So I went and did the same again, got my act together, was a lot more sort of organized and um, got the videos out even more quickly. Would basically go and speak to somebody, edit it, put it out, or maybe do a couple of interviews and then to go and sit down somewhere half an hour later, there were two out on two videos out on LinkedIn. Uh, and then off the back of that, I got hired to work at the, uh, the recent one in Aviemore. Oh yeah. yeah. And to, as a paid gig uh, for, for, for Brett who, who runs those events. Mm. So again, I mean, it was, they were, two, you know, there was the event in Perth and there was the one in Aberdeen where I went, you know, paid for myself to get up there, mm-hmm. um, did it for free, and it was just advertising. Um, but it was great for it was great for exposure, mm-hmm. yeah, because people are actively sharing the stuff that I was making for them and putting me under the nose of people who, who didn't even know I existed. Yeah, yeah. Um, demonstrating how quickly and how efficient mobile filmmaking can be, either for yourself or if you want to employ me to to do that kind of stuff. Um, but also got work off the back of it as well. Yeah. So, good stuff. So, um, what is the uh, what does the future hold for Made on a Mobile? Then, do you see technical technological advances, particularly that are going to change your business model, or are you you know changing the way you're going to do things? I think the the <laughs> the big thing has been this lockdown. Yeah, uh, obviously. Um. I, I've never I've never been so busy, which is it's a, it's a it's a bit it's kind of embarrassing in some ways, and yeah. um, and and, I, and you know felt a little bit guilty because I did have the experience about three or three or four weeks ago where I got to five o'clock on a Friday. I'd, I'd finished the, the so it was the thirteenth thirteenth mm. of March. Got home 
and all of my work had disappeared. I opened up my email once once I got home and there was a string of emails and I got the sense that week that things were escalating quicker than I'd anticipated so or than anybody had anticipated yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. And so the Thursday of that week I had spent um sort of preparing notes and an outline for an online version of what I do mm. thinking you know this might be the way I have to do things as of next week or uh, well yeah. as of a couple of weeks yeah. I was thinking at the time but of course then the next day I had um, my last booking that I would be able to fulfill uh, in Edinburgh came home opened up the email all the all my other work had gone up until sort of through June and July right because there were events and and the decision had been made to I suppose there's a, there's a lot of effort and resources that go into planning and booking other, you know, sound, audio, visual, that kind of stuff for these yeah. kind of events. So um, they people were cutting their losses, mm. and I had a, a Friday evening and a weekend really of just feeling like, right, the bottom has fallen out of my business. Yeah, and feeling a bit stupid in some ways that all my eggs were in one basket. Uh, which I suppose, you know, on reflection, it was like, well, that's what I do. So, and and nobody could anticipate these sort of things. Uh, and there's a lot of people in the same boat. So you just have to, you know, go and get a job as a van driver for Morrison's or, you know, I was thinking about any, I was looking at all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did have some work that I, I was still working on at home, which I could I could still do. So I was finishing some of that that following week. And then I got a call from someone I know at the NHS who needed some training videos. And so I started that Friday the 20th. I went across to their sort of planning day mm-hmm. and literally didn't stop for two weeks and it's still coming in. Um, but it's, it was, I mean, it was like 14 hours a day, some days spending all day at the hospital filming and then coming home at night editing to keep up with the demand because they needed to, um, be able to train as many people as possible to get them through for potentially what might happen. And also they were worried that their trainers might go off ill and and then what do they do? So we yeah. just had to document. I had to document as much stuff as possible. And there's now two of us. There's another filmmaker in Dundee working on it as well, uh, just to sort of meet the demand. Yeah. So so in that respect, the NHS literally did save uh, me in yeah. terms of you know my business. And but after the I suppose after that initial couple of weeks of panic. I've now had other inquiries from other organizations and understandably video is a, a priority for people yeah. now. So some conversations I've had over the years where it's been a nice to have now people are realizing, you know, in these kind of circumstances, video is a must. So um, there's a few projects that I've, I've got and, and some training sessions and and unfortunately, I still haven't had time to properly sort of put my my um, sort of online workshop notes mm. together and uh, and slides and whatnot. But that it's nearly it's nearly there. So hopefully within a week or so, I should be able to start rolling out online 
tutorials and workshops and and stuff like that yeah great so things that you can do remotely as opposed to having to go and do them in person which i suppose is how most of us are, are having to adapt for it um yeah and then and then we see what uh what comes when it's all finally over and, and we get to go out in the fresh air again <laughs> no good stuff um no it's good to hear that, that you're able to adapt to what's going on and that you've been able to use your your current methodology to, to stay busy so i think that's great and i think you're so right a lot of people are discovering what used to be a nice to have is now a must have whether that's video or working from home or remote or, or whatever it is um, absolutely and we're just very in some ways we're fortunate that if this had happened even five years ago mm. it would have been a very different story i mean we wouldn't be recording no this with i mean obviously it's, it's audio but while we're recording it we're using video as well mm. skype and stuff like that was in a terrible state five years ago you know it just wasn't yeah the quality just wasn't there um five years before that it would be unthinkable Absolutely. you know it would we'd, we'd have email and that would be pretty much it mm. and you know 10 years ago relatively speaking there was a handful of people on twitter mm-hmm. and facebook and and that's it so yeah Technology has, has has been able to um, to to get us through, and it's obviously it's not face to face, but it's the next best thing that we've got at the moment. Yeah. So. No, we make it work, don't we? Um, that's about that's about all we can do. Um, so, re- regardless of uh, the times that we live in and uh, and the constraints that we've got, sort of thing, what what are the what are the core things that people can reach out to you for then? And what's your core services for for clients right now so well i'm i'm a filmmaker so i can i can make you know whether it's a, a promotional film um you know, you know an ad ad yeah. for a small business i obviously i do workshops as well there's a, so there's a number of ways that you can access my workshops either through third-party organizations that put them on on my behalf and I just turn up and do them. Mm. And occasionally I do open workshops where individuals can sign up. Um, and I've, I've run those in, in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, uh, and Perth. Mm. Happy to, happy to travel, happy to run. I've, I've run them in the Midlands just to, like I said, just a month ago, I ran a handful down in the Midlands, uh, which was an easy place to start because that's where I'm from. So I was able to use the uh, the yeah. B&B that I grew up in that my <laughs> mom and dad's. It's not a B&B, but, you know, that's that's how you treat <laughs> it. Isn't it? Um, so, um, yeah, so, so I, I make films. I teach people to make their own films. I suppose the thing that is particularly interesting to me, there's a, there's a – I suppose on, on the whole, people are, are now used to one of the, one of the great things about mobile filmmaking is that people are, are when you're interviewing people, they're a lot less intimidated in front of an iPhone or an iPad than they are yeah. even a DSLR camera, but certainly a TV camera or something like that. Um, and and part of that is because they're used to taking their own picture, doing little selfies and videos to camera and stuff like that, and I suppose one of the things, in fact, the reason I got onto Twitter in the first place was the 
the day after the, I don't know if you remember, you, the, the, the airplane that landed on the Hudson in New York. Yeah, yeah. And as, as someone who has worked in print for, you know, in one way or another for the last 30 years, that the sort of connection between digital and print still really interests me. Actual things as opposed to, um, you know, this sort mm. of in the ether of, of digital. And I'd heard of Twitter, but I'd, I'd already killed my Facebook account. I very quickly realized that Facebook wasn't for me. So after about 18 months of having an account, I'd, I'd killed it off. And I heard of Twitter and I thought, I, I don't need social media in my life. Not really knowing what it was, or just assuming it was just the same as, as Facebook with, with a different name. But then the day after the, that plane, it was maybe even the same day, um, I read something probably on, uh, on a BBC or, or Guardian website about the, the first person to report that happening was somebody on a ferry that just that happened to be nearby and actually was the first responder to the plane that, that helped get the passengers off the plane to safety. Wow. So, yeah, so it was a fella on, on the, the ferry with an iPhone and a Twitter account, and he took a picture and he shared it to Twitter, and and I saw it through through the news. Um, but he was he was the the first person to report yeah. it, not news media. And in fact, the day after, the photograph that was on the cover of all the newspapers was his photograph. It was a photograph that had been taken on an iPhone. Uh, so this is February two thousand and nine. Mm -hmm. um and or Jan january or february 2009 and um and i thought well this is the the democratization of media yeah and, and nothing was the same after that for me mm -hmm. and that was the thing that got me onto twitter um do you know it, 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 but that sounds very much like um <laughs> that's almost been a, a a path that you've now followed and 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 has come full circle where you are now able to do that democratization of media where you are the the filmmaker who can go out there and um instantly as you were saying about the expos instantly do the little interviews and have them up on social media and things yeah, straight yeah. away and, and that's just, and yeah exactly exactly and that was the exciting thing to me that somebody yeah. on a ferry could take a photo and be the first person to report that thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, and, and right. so again, 10 years ago, this was really exciting to people. I went to an event run by uh, Mozilla and it was a mobile journalism event. And they were talking about, you know, why do we need to fly people across the world to report on something when there are people on the ground who know the real story and can share it from where they are? And of course, the thing that's muddied that is all is fake news. Yeah, yeah. People on the ground reporting falsehoods mm -hmm. and and passing them off as. And so then now that's convenient for the media as well because then there's a reason for the sort of traditional media to say, well, you need a trusted source, and and that's absolutely the case. Are you, are you um, trying to say that this is all fake news is one big conspiracy theory run by the media well, so that not. we can? <laughs> You don't want to get down that rabbit hole. No, let's not go down that road. Let's no. not. Let's not. But um, it, what it comes down to is that there, there are tools there that, if used appropriately, 
are so powerful, whether creatively, uh, for, for documenting, for, for, for sharing news, uh, for, and, and for connecting us like we are now, yeah. that, like I said initially, for them to be wasted and used as a screen for Netflix or yeah. for a video game or, I mean, doing your shopping is, is you know, absolutely valid. But, <laughs> you know, if that's the only thing you're using your iPad for, then it, it's pretty sad. Yeah, and and crucially, the, the kids copy how adults use these yeah. devices and so if they if they if all they see is adults using them for those kinds of things then they're not going to explore them any further which would be a real shame yeah um because like i said you know the the 10 11 year old version of me would have loved these tools um and now you know there are hollywood filmmakers that are using iphones yeah. as cameras yeah um, there are there are journalists on a daily basis who are going out and capturing and editing and sharing their stories on the BBC, Al Jazeera, um, who else? RTE yeah. in in Ireland yeah. have a whole team of mobile journalists, and that's that's the way they work. That's their workflow. Uh, so it's really exciting, and and it and it feels like we're either about to hit or we're on a tipping point where it's it's less niche. Mm. So 10 years ago, it didn't occur to me that it was even a thing. It was just something I did. And I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed teaching other people how to do it, and, I, and it was a bit of fun. And then sort of four or five years ago, I stumbled across a whole community of people who do this, predominantly in journalism, and realized, wow, there's all these like really – cool bits of kit that I can get as well, you know, pro mics and tripods and stuff that enable me to do what I'm doing, but just to make it that much more professional and, um, and, and, and less of a sort of an amateur hobbyist type thing. And, and I think, and, and so that even then it's still niche within that market. And there are people who within that, you know, say within journalism, there are people who, take it really seriously and it is their thing and then there are other people who sort of fight against it and and really don't like it but i think we're what i'm i'm hoping i'm on the side of connecting the outside world to that community so that yeah. you know we can all be doing our own version of this stuff and i suppose the the, the point i was trying to get to was that you know there are people who just shoot little clips maybe for holidays and stuff mm -hmm. and they do their own thing. And then there are people maybe like me who, uh, make, you know, I've, I made an hour long documentary in 2018. Um, I made a five minute documentary last year about the, the cinema at the uh, DCA in Dundee. Yeah. Um, gone on to win a, a couple of awards. What I want to try, what, what the thing that really interests me is, is sort of, connecting the, those two spaces so that and 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 I suppose the thing that I really enjoy doing is is working with people to help them tell their own story so you know you could you could anybody can sit in front of their phone and tell a story mm. without without a bit of help it's probably going to look a little bit ropey um I could tell your story for you but then I bring my own baggage to it and my own sensibilities mm. 
what's really exciting is where you find a sweet spot between those and enable people to tell their own stories, but in a way that looks kind of like the sort of thing that we would all sit down and watch yeah. on TV. Yeah, great. Um, and I mean, there's a, there's a great series just now on iPlayer, Canal Diaries, which was a YouTube channel. Right. And it was a, a, a producer, a very creative producer in, uh, in the BBC in Manchester who saw the potential for a TV series. And so now it, it's a, a, a four or five part series on iPlayer and uh, shot entirely on a mobile. I think it's edited differently now, yeah, but sure. the, Rob Cumming, who, who, uh, who he basically lives on a barge, documents his life living on a barge and that's it um travels up and down the canals of the uk and uh and it's a great it's a great tv series but it's shot on a phone yeah so i i don't know i, I like to think that there's something that's probably what that's i'm aiming for yeah yeah the, you know to produce something that is immediate and authentic which is which is the you know the 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 wheelhouse of mobile filmmaking, but for it to be for not just for social media or for a website, but for, you know, traditional media, whether it's TV screen, cinema screen, or not. Great stuff, John. Great. A lot of inspirational things there. Um, you know, it's great to hear just how, uh, just how creative we can be with these tools nowadays. Um, listen, thank you very much for joining me, John. Um, it really has been fascinating hearing what you've been up to and what you do. Uh, we will put all of John's links and contacts and things into the show notes. Um, so please feel free to give him a shout and get in touch. Um, thank you very much, John. We will see you thank next you. time on the story so far. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Story So Far. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe through your podcast app. This podcast is produced by Audio Outsource and is available on all good podcast apps, including Apple, Google and Spotify. If you'd like to appear as a guest on The Story So Far, check out the show notes for details on how to get in touch. Thank you.